Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians chapter 6. Looking at the armor of God, beginning with the belt of truth this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, let's read uh, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that I may be, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, would you open this word to us, this command that you have given us, Lord, will you give us insight that you would your spirit take the word and, and convict our hearts and bring us to Christ. Uh, Lord, we confess it's in your strength. Uh, it's only in your strength we can do anything. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, growing up in uh, Watertown, South Dakota, uh, I went to Grant Elementary School. And thinking back on my days in elementary school, uh, some of the memories uh, that come to me are the games we would play after school. Now, Grant Elementary School didn't have a very good property. If you're going to play a football game, you could either play it on concrete, for which we did a lot at recess time and had a lot of, I had stitches several times as your feet would get tangled up. Uh, and uh, and then after school, sometimes we would choose to play football on kind of this side hill. Pretty good angle on it, but we managed to make it into a football field. And I remember being a fifth grader, and the older kids, the sixth graders, they often would play football. And I would want to play with them, even though I'd be intimidated. So after school, I'd kind of walk around back, so I'd walk by the field, I'd have my backpack on, they'd be playing football, and I'd be hoping they would ask me to play with them, and sometimes they would. Sam, you want to come play? And, and so when they would say that, what I would do is I'd run to the top of the hill, and I would take my backpack off, and I would set it down, and then usually I would take my coat off because I don't want to be hindered, and I would set that down, and then I would bend over, and I would tie my shoes tight. And the reason why I would do all those things is because I was getting ready to play with the big boys, and I needed to have my A game. So if someone was watching, if a neighbor lady would have been watching and saw that, oh boy, he's really getting ready, he's tying his shoes, He's taking his coat off. There's going to be action here. Or I think of storm chasers. 
that as they're live streaming these storm chases trying to put their vehicles in front of tornadoes, some of them are armored vehicles. And it gets serious when the tornado's a quarter mile away and it's going to strike the vehicle. And you hear things like, roll up the windows, roll up the windows, drop down, the hydraulics drops the car down, deploy the spikes that shoot into the ground. Because the storm's coming. And that's what preparation looks like. Well, the impact Paul means to have on our minds in our text this morning, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He doesn't say, Strap on the belt of truth because you're going to play a game against older kids. He doesn't say a storm's coming. He's already told us that we're not in a game, but we're in a war. And that war is against enemies that are so much stronger than we are. The war is against Satan. The war is against cosmic powers, demons, intellectual beings that are evil, that desire to destroy your life and my life. And so he says, put on the armor of God so that you can stand in the strength of His might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And the first piece of armor is the belt. And the call is to stand, to stand firm, Christian, against the schemes of the devil. We're actually not called to slay Satan and to win victory, final victory over him. We're called to stand. We're called to resist the devil. And we're called to wait for the Savior. That's how Peter says it. That's how Paul says it. That's how he says it repeatedly. So that we may withstand in the evil day. Stand therefore. So this first piece of armor, there's six main pieces of a soldier's equipment that Paul mentions. The belt, the breastplate, the boots, the shield, the helmet, the sword. And uh, these represent, they're, they're pictures of the truth, righteousness, the good news of peace, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. They're pictures. That's what these are. And he begins by saying, fasten on the belt of truth. The picture is this. Get ready. To fasten on the belt of truth in those days, you know, Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. In Ephesians 6.20, the, the last verse that I read, for that which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's got a visual image of the Roman soldier right there that he is chained to. And what anyone would know in those days, if you saw a Roman soldier all of a sudden girding up his belt, tightening up his belt, which is what Paul is saying we need to do, you would know that the battle is about to begin. What it means is to be ready. In light of your enemy, you need to be ready. We're called to put on the whole armor of God. Uh, the word is panoplia. It's, the, it's the, all the armor of a heavy-armed soldier. Uh, there's a completeness of it. There's a protection when it's 
all on. And so to secure on the belt of truth is this idea that before you go to battle, you better have the foundational things ready. You see, if you don't cinch up your belt, your belt is what holds your sword. Your breastplate connects to your belt. A Roman soldier wore a piece of square fabric that had a hole in it for the head and holes for the arms. And this would get in your way if you were going to go to battle. So when it was time for battle, you had to gird up all this cloth and you have to tie it up so your feet are ready to move and ready to fight. And so the meaning of this text is to be ready. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, uh, in verse 11, as God told Israel to get ready for the Passover, here's what he said. Uh, he says in Exodus 12:11, he says, "In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall be and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You need to have your belt on. You need to be ready. The action time is right now. In fact, in Isaiah 45, speaking of how God used Cyrus to destroy his enemies, the imagery he uses in defeating other kings is this. Uh, he says in, in verse 1 of Isaiah 45, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, so God grasps his hand, to subdue the nations before him and to loose the belts of kings. It's to disarm them. To not have your belt on is to be disarmed. To have none of the rest of your armor function or be ready. When Jesus was telling his disciples uh, to, be, to live their lives and be ready, waiting for him to return for the second coming. He could return at any time. He said, stay dressed for action. It's the same phrase. Gird up your belt. Get ready for action. Keep your lamps burning. It means to be ready. The first thing Paul tells us is you need to be ready. You need to know your enemy and you need to be ready for it. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says it this way, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. King James Version, gird up, I don't know if it's King James, it's the literal Greek translation, would be gird up the loins of your minds. Prepare your mind for action. Those specific believers that were getting that letter were about to be hung on stakes, burning in Rome. Very shortly after that letter. And Peter's saying, you need to prepare your minds for action and set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why did he say that? He says you have to have your minds in such a state that every ounce of your hope is set on the day when Christ returns. Because if your hope is in staying with your family, or staying in your city, or staying alive, you'll give up on Christ. Because Christ hasn't promised you that those things will last. But the inheritance that comes when He comes is sure. So they need to be girding up the loins of their minds. they got to be strong-minded with their eyes set on the grace of God uh, in Christ. 
And the foundation is truth. What else do you have if you don't have truth? Jesus Christ told Pilate, for this reason I've come into the world, that I would testify to the truth. That's what the world needs. Every other part of the armor is connected to the truth. Whether we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness or the gospel of peace, that we have to have shoes ready to share the gospel, whether we're talking about uh, the shield of faith, faith in what? Faith in truth. What do we have, we're finding out in our culture, what do you have in a culture that doesn't believe in absolute, objective truth? You have chaos. We need to know what's true. It's foundational. But here's the question. All these years, many of you grew up going to Sunday school. You made all the swords. You, you did the armor of God. If someone put you on the spot and said, what's the armor of God about? What's it mean? You'd ask me this question before a few weeks ago. I'd take some stabs at it, but I honestly would say, although I heard about the armor of God a lot in my life, it never became like this foundational, practical peace in my life. And my prayer is that you see what I think Paul wants us to see in this text and have its practical effect on your life. Now, the commentaries are divided on what it means to put on the belt of truth. Uh, to, to tell you the two different camps, one camp views this more as uh, this is practical. To, to put on aletia is to put on faithfulness, to put on truthfulness. Basically, the devil's after you, so don't lie. Tell the truth. Be faithful. Be a ready soldier that's faithful, that's going to speak the truth. And so the charge to put on the belt of truth is be more truthful. The charge to put on the breastplate of righteousness is be righteous, be like Christ in your new nature. So that, 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 that's one view. The other, the other view is a view that this is pointing to objective truth outside of ourself, mainly Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? So in Ephesians, Paul says, speak the truth in love. He's already told us to speak the truth. He's already told us to put off falsehood, to not lie, to not twist the truth. The Bible clearly tells us Jesus is the Word. He's the embodiment of truth. So which is it? That's the question. Reading through the commentaries and listening to arguments, there's good arguments. There's a lot of texts you can look at. But I'm going to tell you the way I lean and why. And I want to begin that by pointing to 1 Corinthians 15.56. And there's this statement that you've heard before. I'll, I'll give you the full context later. But it's the statement where Paul says, the sting of death is sin. So let's think about this. The sting of death is sin. So, why is death the most dreaded thing? Why does it hurt so bad? And Paul says, the reason why it does is because of sin. It's ultimately, death came into the world because through one man, Adam, he sinned. And death spread to everyone. The sting of death is sin, 
And then he says, and the power of sin is the law. The power of sin is the law. What does that mean? So, it's connected to what Paul says in Romans 5.20 when he says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. To empower sin. The law comes and sin gets empowered. So let's think about this for a minute. Who's our enemy? And what does he do? The enemy is Satan, ultimately. And what does he do according to Revelation 12, verse 10? He accuses the saints day and night before our God. So let's take the first view. That putting on the belt of truth is being more truthful. Being more sincere. Being more faithful. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to put it on. I'm, I'm going to be more sincere. I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to tell the truth better. I'm going to deceive less. Here's the problem. Here's your enemy. He's an accuser. Are you sure you told the whole truth? Are you sure you really... Nailed it with your faithfulness? Are you really fully sincere? Because you don't seem sincere. You know, sometimes people will say this, you know. Are you really sincere? Well, I want to say back, are you really sincere? 100%? All the way to the righteousness of God, the God who sees everything? How truthful are you? How sincere are you? So we're to watch out for the devil who's the accuser. And if the fundamental meaning of put on the belt of truth is put on faithfulness, then I don't know how I'm going to win. Because I can, I can fool people when I'm in public and act my best. But if a demon or the devil can see how I am on my worst moment, and he's an accuser, well then, then how's it going to go? What power do I have if that's the way it is? You know, in a battle, you never want to give any of your enemies ammo, right? These public figures, what do they try to do? They try to present themselves good in public because they don't want to give the media ammo to tear them down. Well, I can tell you the devil has ammo on your life. I don't care who you are. And you've given it to him. Yeah, he maybe deceived you and tempted you, but you did the sin. And so he's got the ammo. Nah. I was going to say, would a country really arm their enemies? Well, unfortunately, in a fallen world, that happens. We see it in the news, right? Our own funding can arm the enemy. And if the way we're supposed to get ready is to just try a little harder and do a little more, I don't like the odds when... I face him. When I stand toe-to-toe with the devil and I'm told that I need to stand. And that's why in the context, he says be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might. Gurnall who wrote a book this thick on the armor of God, a Puritan, said, some by truth mean a truth of doctrine. Others have it a truth of the heart, sincerity. 
they, I think best, or he says, I think best uh, that both are comprised. That if you're going to trust in the truth, you obviously want to speak truth, right? Do Do we really have to pick between these? But what comes first matters. I don't think any of the commentators are wrong the, the, in the full sense. I think some miss a whole lot of comfort they can have. That when Paul is saying put on the armor of God, what he's saying is put on Jesus Christ. The devil's after you and you need to put on Jesus Christ. And when you put on Jesus Christ and when you look at his righteousness, and when you trust in him by faith, you begin to become like the one you worship. But you see, if you go to try to be more truthful in order to get Christ to love you, it all self-destructs. That's why the first three chapters of Ephesians are about Christ's work, and the second are about our effort. But I think at the very end here, what he's doing is he's showing us our union with Christ. This is what it's all about. This is what the whole entire letter is about. And so there's the debate. What's his main motivation? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Is Paul looking at the Roman soldier saying, all right, I'm coming up with the armor of God here. I know how Romans fight. Well, he is chained to a Roman soldier, and I think that probably got him thinking. But I think the motivation for the armor of God is not the Roman soldier, but it's the Old Testament Scripture that speaks of a divine warrior that fights on behalf of his people against their enemies. And I want to show you this. Uh, we're going to have to move quick. Won't be able to spend a lot of time. Be good Bible study this week for you. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 24. This might be a familiar psalm. You have an interesting event happening. You have a human being coming to the gates of heaven. There's never been a human being able to knock on those gates and just walk in. So here's what he says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Basically, God is big. Which brings the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He answers the question. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He's truthful. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. And a few verses later, lift up your heads, O gates, lift up and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. It's a warrior. It's a fighter who is totally truthful, who has a totally pure heart. He's the only one that those ancient gates will open for. And when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and those gates opened for Him, it was the first time. That paved the way for other human beings to be able to enter in in Him. Right? That's 
the only way. We need the strength that He provides. Who did He provide? He provided a warrior. He, did, he provided a perfect warrior. Let me just show you a, a few of these passages that Paul might have had in mind when he penned the armor of God. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. We're probably familiar with the start of this passage. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eye sees, nor decide his dispute with his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. So, so this shoot is going to be a warrior. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That word for faithfulness, like truthfulness. Sincerity will be the belt of his loins. What's Paul thinking of? When he's saying, put on the armor of God, I think he's thinking of Isaiah 11. I think he's thinking of Isaiah 52. Turn there with me. We'll just read these passages. Awake, awake. Put on your strength. Aha. That's the language Paul is using. O Zion, Put on beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into, the, come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt and sojourned there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what I declare, what I hear, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. So Israel's in this terrible spot, captive held captive by their enemies. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings the good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Well, this sure sounds like the shoes that Paul is thinking of. He says, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy. For, the, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So there's a battle, but the Lord is before you and the Lord is behind you, he's saying. And obviously, this leads into this. 
Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. Pointing to Christ. That leads us right into Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this divine warrior servant is going to publish good news. He's going to be high and lifted up. He's going to bear the sins of his people. I think this is what Paul had in mind. Isaiah 59. Another longer passage, but listen to it. It's easy to daydream when a long passage is being read. Look for the Savior here. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or is here dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins has hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. You see that? We don't speak truth. If putting on the belt of, of truth is speak truth perfectly, God's account against us doesn't let us. No one enters into suit justly. No one goes to law Honestly, they rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs, they weave spider's webs. He who eats their eggs dies, and from the one that is crushed, are, and, and from the one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing, men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and their deeds, deeds of violence, are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their pathways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made, made their roads crooked, no one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. And for brightness, but walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We, in full vig... Or let's see. We grope... We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight among those who in full vigor we are like dead men. We all growl like bears and moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us and our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth is stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself prey. Ugh! But it's true. Look at the second half of verse 15. The Lord saw it. And it displeased Him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then His own arm brought Him salvation and His righteousness upheld Him. Isn't that good news? He put on righteousness as a breastplate. That's what it says, verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate 
and a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a ready cloak. Verse 18 says, according to their deeds, so he'll repay wrath to his enemies. Arise and shine, verse 1 of the, of the next chapter, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So if the armor of God is, now do better, make sure you do better, and your enemy is the devil, and the devil is the accuser, well, are we supposed to try to do better? You bet we are. But you're not going to stand against the accusing devil if you don't fundamentally see the armor of God as putting on Jesus Christ. When Paul is talking about this armor, he most assuredly, I think, is thinking of the one who defeats the devil. The devil tried to devour him in his birth. And he failed. The devil tried to tempt him in the wilderness. And Jesus stood firm with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, undoing his lies. The devil seeked to destroy him in his death. And in his death, Jesus conquered sin, which is the sting of death. And then he overcame death by Rising from the dead after He bore our sins in our iniquities on the cross. He's our victory. So when He says to stand in His strength, to put on the whole armor of God, the good news is, guess what you're getting the next five weeks? The Gospel preached to you. Because putting on the armor of God is putting on Jesus Christ. And with Jesus Christ, there's all these benefits. All the treasures of wisdom are bound up in Christ. He is the truth. And if you trust in Him by faith, you're found in Him. So what are you going to do when the devil shows up? He's got one main victory. He tempted Adam to sin. And then death spread to all men. And he's trying to cling to a plan that is destined to fail. But he's going to keep hanging on to it. So what does it look like to put it on? If Jesus Christ is the armor that we're to put on, what does it look like to put it on? That's the question. They speak to grandparents. The devil comes and surely brings regrets. The devil comes and says, look at how many years I've already given you and what have you done with them? Look at how you messed this up. Look what you didn't know when your children were born. Look at how you're failing them now. Man, you've made a mess of your life. Probably messed a whole bunch of people up too. What's your response? Well, did you see what I did last week? I'm getting better. I'm trying. I threw you know, I threw a birthday party and That doesn't work, does it? What do you say? You say, yeah. You must have forgotten, Satan, that you came at Jesus Christ and you failed over and over again to the point where He destroyed you. And I am in Him. And He's disarmed. He's disarmed. How about a husband? Boy, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. How pathetic is that? You haven't even come close. You haven't even got 1%. 
of the love for your wife is Christ loved the church. Or he comes to wives and says, oh, you're supposed to be his helper. Man, look how many times you've given up on him. Look how many times you left him. What hope do you have? Well, I'm, try I'm trying. I'm, I'm hanging on. I'm trying. Is that going to be your response? There's a divine warrior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the man for us that walked into heaven, into His presence, and you can be found in Him. Put on the armor of God. Fathers, your leadership stinks. You're just supposed to be leading your family. What example are you giving your children? Look at what's going on. Well, we'll try to fix the mess of this. I'll try to untangle it the best I got with the rest of my days, but... How many moms have heard, what if I'm ruining my kids? They're with me every day. They see my anger. They see my impatience. The devil's sitting there saying, who do you think you are? Total fake. What are you going to say? Trying? Well, it's true. If you're a believer, you're trying. But that doesn't disarm Satan. What disarms the enemy is remembering who you are in Him. And you need to take up the armor of God every moment of your life. You need to remember who you are. Children. How many times have you thought in your mind, I really do want to obey, but I can't obey. I try to obey. And sometimes I do it okay, but I can't quite get it. Is that going to be good enough? The devil saw all that you did to your brother. Him or his demons. They see what you did to your sister. Children. What hope do you have? The only hope any man's ever had. And that is, God decided to be the warrior to defeat our enemy and to defeat sin. And we're called to get ready because I know you've heard all those lies. I know you've felt those schemes. Here's what John Bunyan says in Abounding to the Grace of Sinners. 17th century Puritan. He says, of all the temptations I've ever met with my life, to the question, or to question the being of God and the truth of His gospel is the worst. That's the worst temptation, he says. The worst to be born. When His temptation comes, it takes away my girdle from me and removeth the foundation from under me. I know you do it because I do it. I try to preach the gospel every Sunday. And yet during the week, I forget who I am and I start trying to earn the acceptance of God. And I start getting beat up as I displease people. And Him knowing His standard. And I need to put on Jesus Christ. And then when I put on Jesus Christ, now I actually have power I didn't have before. To tell the truth better. To live a more righteous life. But if you get those backwards, you'll give up. So many people walk away from the faith. They say, I tried. Couldn't do it. I failed. But do you know the gospel? Do you realize that everyone has fallen short? We sang these words, Thy wounds, not mine, O Christ, can heal my bruised soul. So, Jesus' wounds are the only ones that can heal my bruised soul. 
Thy stripes, not mine, contain the balm that make me whole. You want to know a common thing today? People injuring themselves. They, they literally give themselves stripes. They cut themselves. Why? They're upset with themselves. Cutting, harming yourself, degrading yourself, that can't heal. You think that atones? How many cuts for how bad we are? Only, only His wounds can heal my bruised soul. So sinner, climb into Jesus Christ. He is the victor. He has given Satan the death blow. And yes, he rages. And he'll rage until Christ ultimately casts him into hell. But you have armor to put on. And it's going to take faith to put that on. Let me read Revelation 12.10. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. The accuser came, and they said, yeah, but I got Jesus Christ. And they conquer Him. And He says, well, I'll take your life. And we say, yeah, but He rose from the dead. And His resurrection is my resurrection. You see? That's why Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered to bear the sins, one, or offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are trying really hard. It's not what he says. But to save those that are eagerly waiting for Him. You see? We're to try as hard as we can in the strength God provides. But is our hope really ultimately going to land with us? No. It's only in Christ. So let me read the full context of that 1 Corinthians in closing. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is outside of us. Do you see that? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. I mean, stand, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. I just read a line from the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of the flesh will fail you. You, you dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. And watching unto prayer, where duty calls our danger, be never wanting. There. The arm of the flesh will fail you, but put on the gospel armor.